You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Illustrated, Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality, and Christian Miller, a national championship winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian. seconds to try a shot and try to win the game. You'll see the drama unfold. Sellers will inbound. Sellers has Jordan. Jordan with two seconds to go. Why, MJ, on a Wednesday, a rainy, gloomy Wednesday in Alabama? Because when I picked up the paper, I don't pick up the paper anymore, sorry. I was looking through my um, iPad. MJ turned 60 today. I just went, hey, that you know what? It made me feel good because I'm 65. We're not that far apart in age, so... It, then immediately your mind starts thinking about great Michael Jordan moments. And there are too many to count. We couldn't go into all of them in two hours. But I, I just thought since we're kind of a break between the Super Bowl, we do have a huge basketball game tonight, and pitchers and catchers are reporting, and um, the earth was hit by an asteroid. So there are a lot of things going on in the world, Lars, but MJ60 and in every bit of Michael Jordan fashion, there was an announcement that he's giving $10 million to Make-A-Wish Foundation. But I was like you. I went, wow, he's 60? He's a billionaire and loved by all, I would think, e- except maybe the Pacers, the Knicks, <laughs> the, uh, the, what great, the Pistons. What great duels he had with the Knicks and Patrick Ewing, Charles Oakley, uh, John Starks, and then you go with Pacers and Reggie Miller and Rick Smith. Rick Smith. Oh, man. It's it a great era. A, yeah, it was It was a it was great, a great era. era of basketball. And uh, I mentioned this to you earlier. Not only is Michael Jordan the greatest basketball player I've ever seen, I believe he's the greatest athlete I've ever witnessed and um and uh we were you know i i was not here in birmingham when he was playing for the barons and i would love it if you could just you know kind of share your recollection of that summer of uh, the summer of jordan here in in birmingham and and what that was like to cover i mean were there reporters uh coming down to Birmingham from Chicago, New York, LA. I believe there are reporters. Now that I think about it, because you asked me about this earlier on our podcast, which is on twister.fm, produced by James Spann. But I I'm pretty sure there were reporters from Japan too. And 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 likely the Dominican. I mean because baseball is so huge in those countries. But and it wasn't all that unusual that even even after it kind of the initial reaction was over, uh, every once in a while, 
I, I don't know, I think 60 Minutes came in here. But there would be all these national news organizations, broadcast and print, that would come in and do huge exposés on Michael Jordan. But it got to a point where they wouldn't just do it about Michael Jordan, they would do it about Michael Jordan in Birmingham. And that was really, really cool. And as the season grew, his acceptance and our acceptance to Michael Jordan, this mega superstar being in our town playing for our Barons. I think you have to remember, too, in the, the context, he is the most famous sports star in the world at this time. At this time. And uh, the only other one that I can think uh, on, a, on a global uh, forum, platform, would have probably been Muhammad Ali. Because yeah. he was huge. But I remember being there for the opening game. And by the way, the Barons set an all-time season record for attendance, not just for the Barons, in double-A history. And they likely, obviously weren't playing at Railroad Park. No, they were out <laughs> at the Met. Okay. Uh, but it, w it was very, very cool. And, of course, you know what else? It was really cool for the Southern League because he didn't just play in Birmingham, you know? He didn't played in he Chattanooga. Buy, didn't he buy a bus? Yeah, he bought a really, really nice, because what they call coach travel bus. And and that's what the team traveled on, right? Like because yeah, he's six foot really, seven. Yeah. He's, he needs a little more leg room than your typical uh, baseball player. Well, he he needed a little bit more style too. <laughs> I mean, a lot of those minor league buses are just revamped old Continental Trailways. But no, I think this one costs like seven, eight hundred thousand dollars back then. You know, it's thirty years ago. It's a lot of money. God, thirty years ago. But uh, I this is. Uh, maybe not all that great, but one of my biggest memories is in the very first game, there were people hanging off a fence. It was fabulous. Uh, I couldn't even get into the press box. I didn't care. Just wanted to be there, wanted to be a part of the moment. But I think it was like maybe in the second. He was playing right field. It's like a second or third inning. Um, opposing team, their hitter just hit a what you call a can of corn. To Michael, in right. Screaming line drive? Uh, no, 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 oh, no, no, no. Can, oh, can was, of corn? No, a can of a... corn is one that pops up in the air. Uh, okay. and just, oh, like, like a popcorn. Oh, uh, like anybody. Okay, okay I got you. I'll tell you in a minute why that is called. All right. But anyway, he camped himself under it. Loudest roar I've ever heard in my life. For a can of corn. Catches a routine pop fly. <laughs> that's that's really interesting. The only did he thing, drive a yellow Lamborghini? I did think you he did. did you tell me that story? I don't know. So, some, somebody told so. me about uh, they just randomly bumped into Michael. He's filling up his car with gas on, on 280, and it's like this yellow Lamborghini. I, it, it could happen. He lived at Greystone and used to frequent uh, a place called Gabriel's. I, I say frequent. I know a couple of people that saw him there. And here's one of the things that, I find interesting about fans and superstar mega million, and in this case now a billion dollar athletes. Hey, can I buy you a drink? What? Wait. Say, hey, buy me a drink. You know? You understand <laughs> what I mean? I mean, why, why? I guess it's so you can say, I guess what I did last night. Bought Michael Jordan tonic and water. Whatever. You know, there are a couple times that I went out with Dale Hernart Jr., like socially. Guess who picked up the tab? You did. There's a reason why rich people are rich. Because uh, <laughs> they don't pay tabs. I will go the other way, and this is known, and he's told people. 
Barkley won't let anybody pick up a tab. I have heard that. I've never gone out with Charles. That's uh, that's a goal of mine. It's quite the experience. Just the way he handles himself, and I mean, people are just calling all over him. He's Charles is very fine being Charles. So anyway, that's the cool thing about him. He's just, he seems so comfortable in his own skin, and uh, I have seen him out. And he's just very good at uh, interacting with the public. Very patient. The public gets him, too. You know? Yeah. That's a very, very cool thing. But, all right, from a basketball standpoint, what do you, what's, a, what's the moment that's just, uh, you know, burned in your memory on MJ? Well, I think uh, what really introduced him to uh all of us and in, in his greatness was the shot over Craig Elo. Uh I think I think it was uh I think it was in the semifinals, Eastern semifinals, Eastern Conference semifinals, where he like double clutched and, and, and hit 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 the shot uh game seven to uh advance. And then you have uh the flu game when with a, a temperature of 102, 103, just willed his team uh, to victory. And just, um, you know, uh, his, his, his competitiveness. And we, we hear these sort of cliches tossed out all the time about athletes who, oh, they're, they're so competitive, man, they want to – beat you at ping pong as much as they want to beat you at basketball and, and, and all this. But what Michael took it to another level in that he would just absolutely uh, verbally destroy his teammates if he felt that they were not living up to the standard of Michael Jordan. And it's almost as if he was making them believe or making them want to perform so that they would not disappoint the great Michael Jordan. And that elevated their play. And there would always be like one guy on the team that he would go after, and you never wanted to be the one that suffered his wrath. Now, on, on The Last Dance, the, the, the wonderful documentary that was done on that Bulls dynasty, he could come off as a bully and as a bit of a... A blank hole, yeah. right? But you know what? Sometimes that's what it takes. They won. They won. <laughs> they won a lot. Six championships in eight years. My era. And they, and what? In the two years play. that they didn't win, uh, he wasn't he was, on the team. No, they won full time. I just, I guess you have to date yourself when you think about Michael Jordan. Obviously, I know Christian Miller is aware of who he is, but can you think about it? Did when he was doing all these things, was hey Christian? Were you even alive when Michael Jordan was winning all those Bulls championships? Give me the years, and I'll tell you. Okay. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, like the nineties, he dominated the nineties. I, mean, I was, but I was I, born in ninety six, in... so yeah. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I obviously know this. Michael Jordan. I mean, I, he, he, when did he retire? Like early two thousands. Uh, Y'all remember? I'm looking it up right now because my mind doesn't work oh, three? very well. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I was about to say, I mean, I don't really necessarily remember watching him play, per se. I'm not going to be like one of those people. I know people <laughs> around my age that, you know, they're like, oh, he's the greatest ever. I'm like, how do you know? You didn't even really watch him. <laughs> but, yeah. But, I mean, obviously, you know who he is and you know what he stands for in terms of his mentality. And I think that's 
um, what stands out the most is just that killer instinct. Uh, I know how you know Kobe Bryant played in his mentality that he had, very similar uh, to Michael Jordan. So um, just you know seeing that, and you just have to respect it. I know it can kind of you know come off as arrogance, um, but you know for a guy to be that talented and just to have that killer instinct, that competitive edge, where you know. He doesn't care who's in front of him. It doesn't matter if you're the worst team in the league, the uh, worst player in the league, the best player in the league, or the best team. You know, you're going to get his A game, and uh, he's always coming at you. You know, he, and he, he's relentless. He does not stop. He doesn't quit. And uh, I've always respected that. And I, I think that, that that kind of mindset is imperative uh, to be a champion. It, it, it's required in order to have success. And, uh, again, you always respect guys like that because that's what makes them great. And he sure was. Hey, we got a good show lined up for you. At the bottom of the hour, we'll be joined by the Mick, Mick Gillespie. In the top of the hour, Kevin Skarbinski will join us as we have uh, MJ. Got to talk more about the SEC in 24 and several other things. So a little bit more, you know, if you will, call fallout from got the some, Super Bowl. Uh, Calvin Ridley news as well. Cool beans. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Has the pandemic affected your business? Even with more and more customers going online in the past five years, online business has grown greatly due to the pandemic. Now more than ever, it's important. It's 62. An active day tomorrow, mild and breezy with thunderstorms by afternoon. Those storms could be strong to severe. The high 73. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 67 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Christian Miller, Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, Big Noon Sports coming to you in Birmingham. Also, Anniston, Gadsden area, and in Tuscaloosa as well. Happy birthday, Michael Jordan. Pretty cool. Good Happy second. birthday, Ken Anderson. Ken Anderson. My Who idol. is he? Um, we're we're going to have to talk about what, we'll By get, the way, we'll what is it? Let me, let me guess. What is he? 71? Boy, I don't know. But okay. he's the next. Now that Ken Riley of the Bengals got into the Hall of Fame on the Seniors Committee, Ken Anderson's the next. He will be getting in the Hall of Fame next year, and I will be in Canton, Ohio for that event. Well, his nephew should be. Yes. All right. <laughs> um, huge basketball game last night. I watched a little, I listened to a little. Auburn just dismantled Missouri. When I flipped it on, I was going to get takey outy and a bottle of wine for, you know, Valentine's. And uh, I flip it over there and there. Wait, Sonny's the name talk. was called takey outy? No, just takey, take out. Oh, okay. Take out. Sorry. All right, pick up. Uh, okay. And I delivered. Uh, by the way, there were like eight people in front of me that were all like DoorDash and Uber Eats. Who, Matt, who cares? <laughs> um, I've managed to even lose my train of thought. Oh, yeah. The radio, I'm listening to uh, Andy and Sonny, 40 to 18. No, 40 to 6. It was, they just absolutely destroyed them, which just makes this league weird. Didn't Missouri beat Tennessee? 
Is that right, Josh? Does that sound right to you? You can look it up real quick. But up. Anyway, that leads to tonight, where the bet one of the best defensive teams in the nation and one of the best offensive slash defensive teams in the nation collide up to Thompson Bowling Arena. You got any thoughts on this one tonight there, Lars? Yeah, it's a it's a huge game. I mean, uh, the Crimson Tide, they're 22 and 3 overall, 12 and 0 in the SEC, uh one win away from its, its best ever start through the first 26 game uh, 26 games of the season. And uh, surprisingly, they're underdogs tonight. And, you know, the ESPN analytics, uh, which I absolutely do not believe in, um, they have Tennessee winning tonight as well. Uh, there is the issue to uh, Betty Ako. Got a, got a slight knee uh, problem going on, and it, 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 it sounds like it could have been worse uh, not sure yet if he's going to play. I think I'd be I'd be surprised if he w- does play tonight. Um, and you know, Matt, as we were preparing for the show, a couple people came by our studio and said, "Oh, Alabama's going down tonight. Feels like it's one of those nights." Well, I but you think know it what? Is. I, I got it. I think Alabama got that out of their system when they got trounced at Oklahoma. Uh, this team is is is, is just uh, I, I think t- too good, and uh, and and their Oklahoma is not a rival. Uh, it's a weird place to play in, in Norman. Uh, I think uh, historically Alabama has not been horrible up at uh, up at up at Tennessee, and this just. It, it feels like a game to me where their best player named Brandon Miller, who I happen to think is the best player in the country, is going to deliver the goods. That's my that, that that's my prediction, and I think Alabama is going to win this by uh, six to ten points. Wow, but, uh, Christian, what what are your initial thoughts on this game? Yeah, I'm kind of with Matt on this one in, in terms of it does kind of feel like a trap game, right? You know, they're, they're coming off just recently being ranked number one, a lot of momentum and a lot of uh, praise in the media right now, but then they're going to Tennessee and playing a really good Tennessee volunteer program um, that that's coming off two losses that were, you know, buzzer beater losses. So uh, you'd imagine those guys are going to be hungry, um, you know, to, to lose twice in that fashion uh, definitely doesn't, doesn't sit well with you. So, again, they're facing a, a, a talented group. Um, in their own arena, so I, I can see it being a trap game, but um, I, I'm not I'm not writing Alabama off. I just would not be shocked if they do drop this one to Tennessee. I'm right there with you, Christian. And Tennessee has been not been playing well at all the last four games, and I think Rick Barnes will have them about ready to tear down a a big orange wall, or in this case, a crimson wall. They yeah. Just, well, you, you know, when like you, you when said, it looks one, like a trap game. Yeah, and when you're ranked number one, you get everybody's best game, right? So uh, they have to be prepared for that. They have that target on their back now. And, and what other way to kind of you know reestablish uh, your moment, momentum than, than uh, taking down the number one team who's coming to your house? So I, I'm with you, Matt, 100%. I, I, I kind of have that feeling. I hope I'm wrong, but uh, it does just feel like that. I don't like saying it. And tonight when I'm in front of my television – um, I won't be thinking that. Uh, but Tennessee plays great defense. And uh, defense in just virtually any sports is is one thing that you can remain constant. 
You may not be making your threes. You may not be getting the ball inside. You might be missing your free throws like Alabama did. But you can always bust it on defense. And Tennessee under Rick Barnes has done that. They've seen it. Um, I think it will be on display. And their offense has suffered greatly over the last couple of weeks. I think it will suddenly wake up as well. But then I get, you know, what Laura says, that could happen too. Right now, I think Christian and Matt are thinking it's going to be apparent. I am a little surprised they're favored. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? Las Vegas um, has built a lot of casinos on on uh, getting these point spreads right. Um, but look, Alabama, it, just despite playing at this really fast tempo, they're holding conference foes just to 63.3 points per game. And uh, right now, Tennessee, uh, they're shooting 50% from inside the arc. And they're shooting 32% from beyond the arc. Um, they haven't scored. Uh, they, I'm sorry. The Volunteers have scored more than 70 points in just two of their last eight conference games. While, while Alabama has yet to allow an SEC opponent to hit the 70-point mark this season. Um, so Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Run that by me again. Alabama has not allowed... Alabama. Okay, the Volunteers have scored have scored more than seventy points in just two of their last eight games, while Alabama has yet to allow an SEC opponent to hit the seventy point mark. That is, uh, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and you know we we get caught up in Alabama's offense because it's so impressive, uh, and and it's it, but but it's it's the defense I think that fuels the offense. And it's the it's the little things. I mean, it's the little things that go back all the way to like, um, you know, junior high basketball. It's hustle. It's determination. It is uh, it is out muscling your opponent. It's boxing out. I mean, it's it's length it, too. it's it's it's, I mean, it's length. They have great they length. Like spiders. They have great length. Know? They do. And that that was the thing that really popped out at me when I saw them in person for the first time this year was the length that they have, and uh, and, and and that's sort of hard to define. I mean, it's not just like they're all tall, skinny guys, but but they're but they're guys who are ath- they're athletic, uh, they're smart, uh, they're a reflection of their coach. They listen to their coaches. Um, and so I, I, I don't know, like Oklahoma to me was a trap game because of, I think, uh, off the court stuff that hadn't been fully sort of resolved in their, uh, hearts and minds. Not that it has yet because that, that tragedy is going to linger over this uh over this season i i think uh, until uh the end of the uh, end of the year as it should but um i think just something got out of their system against oklahoma and uh this is just a very very good team uh they've shown that they can go into auburn right in that Auburn has the uh, it's the most difficult place to play, not just in the SEC but arguably in the country. Alabama doesn't have their A game, Christian. 
Brandon Miller doesn't have his A game, and Alabama still wins in relatively easy fashion. Mm. And so now they go on their way up to uh, Tennessee. I mean, th- to me, this is a fascinating game, Christian, no, no, no doubt. Yeah, no, I agree, and I'm, I'm excited to, to, to watch it. You know, and I hope I'm wrong, right? I don't, <laughs> I don't mean to come on here and sound pessimistic. It's just you just look at the, all the different factors and it does kind of just give you that feel of a trap game. But I hope I'm, I hope I'm wrong. And, and let's face it, even if they, they do fall in this, this matchup, I mean, I don't think that takes away too much from what they're ultimately Maybe. trying to accomplish. Uh, so, uh, but, but even with that being said, I'm not saying, Oh, it just doesn't matter if you win or lose, but realistically, you know, it's, I don't think it's a make or break at the same time, but you know, I, I think Coach Oates is going to have those guys ready to play. And, and you're right. I mean, even it, that's the, the, the beautiful thing about this team is that even when one guy or a couple guys, you know, aren't consistent or they, they don't show up, it seems like somebody else, you know, picks it up for them. You know, somebody comes in off the bench and, and they play well. You know, there's always someone, you know, picking up where somebody's leaving off. So um, I, I'm optimistic, even though I, I do kind of have that sense. But uh, I, I feel confident that ultimately Alabama can pull it off. Mick Gillespie is coming up on Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. A week ago, Lana said yes to her friend's winter book club meeting. She said yes to baking the cookies, bringing the mugs, and actually reading the book. Uh Uh-oh. But that was all before she booked a better. United the team. Made everybody better. Back on Big Noon Sports. Josh, Joe, Aiden, Matt, Christian, Lars. Um, how folks? How you folks doing? Glad you tuned in today. It's a good day. Hang around, and listen to the radio. Mick Gillespie is joining us right here on Big Noon Sports. Uh, Mick, how are you? I know you're a little bit giddy like I am, because pitchers and catchers are already in camp. And I'll bet you know this. This is the first full spring training Major League Baseball will have since 2019. Jeez. Go I, ahead. Yeah, look, that's great. Great to talk to you guys. I think this is the best time of year for sports because you got the Super Bowl, you got college basketball, you're about to get into uh, March Madness. Uh, you know, you got hockey going and NBA. I mean, there's just so many things that are Daytona 500. <laughs> yeah, Daytona. And I know there's a lot of people that are going, yeah, don't forget about that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a great time of year. And pitchers and catchers reporting in a full spring training. And, and don't forget the World Baseball Classic. So we'll probably get a couple yeah. you know, extra games and uh, some games that count. You know, the United States is defending champs. So, yeah, it's a good time of year. I'll say this about baseball. I'm not a baseball guy. I'm already confused by the new rules. I'm already confused. You got larger bases. You got pitch clocks. You got no infield shifts anymore. 
What, what I mean, what the heck is going on, Mick? <laughs> just to just try to break it down for us. Like, uh, just give us your analysis of all these changes going on in maybe the most tradition-laden sport in the United States. Yeah, I'm familiar with all these because I've seen them all enacted in the minor leagues. Some of them I hate, you know, like the and, – and they've been doing this for a few years now, but – Extra innings, we're going to put a guy on second base rule. I just hate that. you got to earn everything else in the game. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get the extra innings and you just get a guy at second base. Um, I call it the ghost runner because, you know, as a kid, you'd yeah, be it's outside like wiffle playing. Ball. Yeah, like wiffle ball. We're going to start hitting people with the ball now to get them out, you know, if they're off base. But, <laughs> you know, somebody said on Twitter when I, when I posted that, they said, if it was such a great rule, they should do it every inning, you know, and I agree with that. Um, the bigger bases, the interesting story about the bigger bases, which another one I'm not a real big fan of, uh, Cubs president Theo Epstein was the one that came up with that. And, uh, you know, I heard this from a really good source. He thought, well, if they make bigger bases, maybe it'll, you know, it'll allow for, for guys to try to steal more, make the game more exciting with the runs, you know, with the running game again. You know, the, the Ricky Henderson, uh, Lou Brock type thing, you know. And it didn't really take off for that. What, what happened was they said, well, if there's bigger bases, then maybe it'll be a safety thing. And that's kind of how it got passed through. So he, he was like, well, you know what? Hey, that works. So they did it in the minors last year. And uh, I, they look like big pizza boxes. Uh, didn't really you know make the game you know people weren't stealing more bases i didn't think but they threw it out there and you know they're going to do that uh the one i really like is the pitch clock because you know back in the day you know you would have had like uh and and i'm sure you know these stories matt you'd have like some of the greats like juan marichal going up going head to head with uh you know whoever right and they pitch 15 innings and the game would last two hours, you know. So, yeah. um, Warren Spahn, you know, Marishaw against Spahn, right? Famous game. And, you know, Willie Mays hit a home run to win it or something like that. You know, it's a legendary game. But it took two hours and change. Well, what's happened now is everybody wants to walk up there. And they want to adjust their batting gloves. They call time. You know, they've kind of taken advantage of the fact that there was no clock in baseball to the point where the game started going four hours. And, you know, and so they had to do something to speed the game up because people really weren't paying attention to it. And so that, that one was good. I mean, I liked it last year. It just made the games about a half hour faster and the action, you know, was going. And then the other thing, the shift, you know, where you're not going to be able to shift everyone all over the place. You know, on one hand, you would think that these guys as professional hitters would be able to move around in the box and, and hit the ball where someone's not standing because the greats would have been able to do that. Will Clark, uh, Pete Rose, you know, those guys we grew up watching. These guys can't do it. And they started shifting, and everybody's just trying to hit home runs now and get lift on the ball. And the batting averages drop down, you know, into like the 220. You know, overall – the guy's batting average, the team's batting averages were terrible. So, you know, that's, that's a rule that they're hoping will uh, get those batting averages back up. I liked it just as a play-by-play guy. 
I'm doing games, do a Cubs game, give you an example. And Chris Bryant's playing shallow right field, but he's really the third baseman. <laughs> you know, try calling that. You know, <laughs> like he ran over. I was talking or looking down. Ground ball to right the right field, uh, shallow right fielder Chris Bryant. You know, it's like come on. And so this last year they enacted the the no shift, and you got to have two guys on either side of the bag, and you can't have guys in the shallow outfield. It just felt more like baseball to me. So I, I like that. So I'm, I'm half and half on these rules. Just an observation. Um, with the larger bags and the shift or no shift, however you want to put it, I predict that you'll see batting averages jump a huge margin. Big time. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I, I think so, quick, too. Quick, quick thought. I just I, I don't understand the the, the bigger bases. I, I I don't know how the there's got to be logic behind it, but I, I, I don't see how that is going to lead to more stolen bases. Uh, yeah, I don't well, know. I mean, you you've got four less inches, I guess, between the back. I don't know. Christian, go ahead. Let's talk some football or some basketball here. Yeah, Mick get, us, get us out of this hole, Christian. I was just going to shift over to basketball because I'm curious to hear Mick's thoughts. You know, obviously, me and Matt are a little dubious of the big matchup tonight. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, on the big game tonight between Alabama and Tennessee? Do you feel like it, it could be somewhat of a recipe for a trap game? Man, I don't feel good about it. I mean, I am going to watch it over at Fancy in downtown Daphne uh, with some Tennessee fans, and they were all really excited about me going. So that was kind of, you talk about dubious. I, I felt like, hmm, you know, they've lost a couple games at the buzzer. Alabama won a big one against Auburn, where I thought they played great defense. Betty Ocko's a little banged up right now. So, but look, they did it without Brandon Miller uh, acting as star. You know, other guys stepped in. Griffin, I thought, was excellent defensively. I mean, they're just getting better and better. They've been a lot more focused. But I can't get that Oklahoma game out of my mind. So, um, this is one of the biggest games that's ever been played uh, at uh, Thompson Bowling Arena which is crazy. I think they've only had two other top 10 matchups there in the history of the arena. And I'm guessing those would have been against Kentucky. Yeah. So, um, but look, this, if this Alabama team wins the game, they're, they're going to cruise to the regular season championship, which is crazy because, you know, there's been so many good teams in the SEC. So, uh, but I just feel like I don't even call it a trap game. I just, you just know in basketball, that place is going to be loud. They're a good team. They're going back-to-back with that loss at Bandit. They should have won. You know, they made a mental mistake and didn't basically, you know, tried to run the clock out instead of scoring. If they score, they win. The Missouri game the same way. So, you know, you just look at the pendulum, and I think Tennessee's do. But I hope I'm wrong. I do, too, but I think Christian and Matt both agree with you. Um, I have been informed you can stay on the segment. Is that correct? Yeah, I'll do it if you want. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mick Gillespie is our guest on Big Noon Sports. <coughs> From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. It's the Tuscaloosa Community Calendar, powered by Pepsi.
The Arts Council of Tuscaloosa will host an exhibit of works presented by the Alabama Blues Project. Nights low 62. An active day tomorrow, mild and breezy with thunderstorms by afternoon. Those storms could be strong to severe. The high 73. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 68 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Uh, I'm just looking ahead to tomorrow, and we are due some severe weather uh, pretty much all day. So make sure and keep an eye out for that. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Our guest right now is is Mick Gillespie. Coming up in just a few minutes, we'll be joined by Kevin Skarbinski. The uh, show is hosted by Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller. Mick, I can't remember if we asked you already, but if, if you don't mind, giving your thoughts again on the, on the new hires, the new additions to the Alabama football coaching staff, you know, specifically the two coordinators, Tommy Rees and Kevin Steele. Look, I, I like both hires. That's starting with Kevin Steele. You know, if you're not going to get Jeremy Pruitt, um, that's not a bad consolation prize. And, and, you know, from what I'm hearing, you might get both of them. You know, maybe there's a way that Pruitt's part of staff and Steele, and those guys have been friends and worked together in the past. Um, Alabama's got to get back on defense to being Alabama. they got to be more aggressive, uh, disciplined at the same time, confident, uh, a little bit tougher. And uh, you know, we, we, the players have been there, especially last year. You know, you're talking about some of the, the best players that Nick Saban's had uh, on defense. So, uh, I think that that's a really good hire. I like that. Uh, you know, he can recruit Steele. Um, not that Alabama's got a problem in that area. And and then Tommy Reese, uh, you know, I, I wasn't one of those people who was uh, upset about the hire. I thought it was a good hire, too. I, I, you know, we've gone down the road of former coaches that were, you know, NFL head coaches, Lane Kiffin, um, you know, and, and, and a college head coach. But he's got his own gig now. Uh, Sark, you know, same thing. You know, he, he's got his own gig now. You know, so that's what happens when you have success. I thought Bill O'Brien was just, it was just a little bit too bland, needs to be more creative. And Alabama's going to try to get back to running a little bit more. Not saying that they're going to ever not throw it. I mean, they're going to be dynamic on offense. But um, Tommy Reese brings that. Georgia's shown us that maybe we didn't need to panic. And, and try to recreate Eagle. Uh, what Alabama was doing was working pretty good before. And so I think those guys are uh, going to be, uh, I think they're good hires. I, 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 I trust Nick Saban. Mick, I know uh, I've probably asked you this question before, and I'm sure I'll ask you again before the season is out, but uh, it's the most compelling question facing the entire Alabama squad heading into the next season. Who do you think is going to be the starting quarterback? What's your gut tell you? Have you uh, you know, talked to any of your, your sources, just to ha- how things are developing? I know it's so early, but uh, just your thoughts. Well, I, my thought is it's going to be Ty Simpson. Um, I just think that his ability to throw the ball with accuracy, um, growing up with a father that is a football coach, the guy comes in with a panning type of IQ, uh, I think that it's going to be him. Now, with that said, 
I've also got to say, I'm not always right about that. You know, like uh, when it when it came to Jalen Hurts, who has become one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, I thought he should play running back after after watching mm. him, you know, miss throws at, yeah. at quarterback when he was at Alabama. And I'm looking at him, hey, this guy's awesome, dude. He does all these things well, but I never thought he would be able to throw the football like he does now. And you you can't you can't really contain him totally because he's able to run the ball like uh, like a real running back. You know. We, we talk about Michael Vick or Lamar Jackson, who's you know my favorite team. Those guys were are great runners. They're fast and elusive. But Hurts is like a real running back, as that he can take hits and run you over. But he can also throw the ball, and he's a leader. And so he's turned into just this dynamic player that we always thought at the beginning that he would, and it, it just didn't happen when he was at Alabama. You know. So um, with that said, you know we we talk about Milrow and. If Hertz can do it, Milrow's faster. He's also a guy that could be a real running back. I mean, he's a big dude, you know. Uh, he's strong. You know, he's a smart kid. So I'm not counting him out. But if, but my gut, from what I what I I guess surmised from talking to other people, is that is that Ty Simpson's coming. So if it's not Ty Simpson, then that means that Milrow really improved his throwing game and his confidence since what we saw last year when he was starting in place of, of Bright. Mick, in the NFL, a couple rules questions here. Do you think the National Football League is going to take a long look at Jalen Hurts' scrum play, the Eagles? And also, is it just not like way past time to put a third-dress quarterback on the rosters for NFL teams? Yeah, well, the second one. First, I mean, if, if the Miami Dolphins had another quarterback, they might have, you know, advanced further in the playoffs because they had a dynamic team when they're when when Tua was healthy. They were really dangerous, and then all of a sudden, all those guys kept getting hurt. The 49ers, the same thing. They they try to protect the quarterbacks in the NFL, but you know, obviously, it's just tough a tough job to do uh, because they they get hurt so much. So. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe they give. I, I would. I wouldn't think it'd be a bad thing to throw an extra roster spot on there for a third string quarterback. Because watching the 49ers wallow in that playoff game with no quarterback was. It was really unfortunate when you talk about what that game meant to the season and to that to what, really one of the great teams in the league last year or this year. And then uh, the the scrum play. It, I, I thought that it wasn't illegal, and then all of a sudden they made that legal. You know, like it, it was like they changed it, that true. rule. Like when I was when I was a kid, you couldn't like if you hit the ground in, in the NFL, you couldn't get back up and start running. But apparently, they used to do that. And then they outlawed it, and then they brought it back. You know, and now a guy catches the ball, and if no one's there, he can get up and run. So I, I don't know. I it, it reminded it reminded me of rugby as a guy that played a little bit of rugby. I remember those uh, those scrum plays. The whole game is basically a scrum. You know. So I, I don't know. I, I was kind of indifferent on it, but I, I'm not really sure why they brought that back in the first place. Since we're talking about the Super yeah, Bowl, I know. Go yep. ahead, go ahead, Lars. Oh, I was just going to say that uh, this play it goes all the way back to uh, early 1900s, and it caused. Um, a lot of uh, injuries and, and it almost caused the game to be outlawed by uh, Theodore Roosevelt. But anyway, uh, Christian, go ahead real quick. 
Well, it was a quick question anyway, so we only got a short amount of time. Was it a hold or not on James Bradbury at the end of the game? <laughs> there Guys, you go. I hate to tell you, it was a hold, but I don't know if I would have flagged it. it. It's unfortunate. He even said it was a hold. So, right. I, I, I don't know. I wish that uh, Hurts would have gotten one more chance with the football. Would have been fun to see. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, because it kind of ended with a thud. All right, uh, Mick, we'll do it again next week or very soon, I'm for sure. All right, guys, roll tide. Wait, 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 Mick. Tell everybody how they can follow you. You got 10 seconds. Yeah, hey, check me out on the Bama Insider YouTube channel, uh, Monday Night Quarterback. We got everything Alabama on there, including me. Roll tide. All right. Moments like hearing my cat purr good morning mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts. Welcome back to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller. All right, Big Noon Sports. Uh, kind of gloomy. It's Wednesday, though, right? So, you know, it's hump. We're over there. Watch out for the weather tomorrow. Then we're into the weekend. What's going on this weekend? I'll tell you one thing that's going on that I will be greatly interested in. Riviera. Country Club. Genesis. Oh, Tiger Woods. Yeah, and, and and you know what? Tiger had some really interesting comments yesterday. He did, uh, and it was uh, a, a reporter who I really respect, um, former ESPN reporter, asked him, "Hey, would you be willing to play the role of uh, just a ceremonial golfer, right? Like uh, uh, Arnold Palmer late in his career, ball. or Jack Nicklaus." And the question kind of took Tiger off guard a little bit, and this his his answer was so genuine. And he's just like, "I'm a competitor. I don't think I can do that. Like, I'm still playing to win. I'm not going to enter tournaments when I think I can't win." And uh, so I, it'll it'll be interesting to see as and, and Tiger acknowledged that it's sooner rather than later where his body is to the point where he can't win golf tournaments anymore well he recognizes that but he's also very cautious and he said in that news conference it ain't now well, or i he, wouldn't be got, i he, wouldn't be an entry he's battling a few he's got plantar fasciitis he's got you know he's got like a, a couple issues going on that? Oh, I, I, have not. I don't want to go there let's uh bring in our guest from al.com and the lead it's kevin skarbinski kevin how are you man i'm good fellas how are you uh, fantastic. Uh, let's continue that thread for a minute, if you don't mind, Kevin. Uh, Tiger Woods, first of all, just as a general observation, his accident happened in 2021. This is one of those rare instances where it doesn't seem like it was yesterday. That seems to me it was like five years ago. Okay, that's just a little Matt throw-in here. Uh, will he win a tournament before he retires? Well, I made the mistake years ago 
of of counting out Tiger after his life went wrong, shall we say, or the ways some ways that his life had gone wrong became public. And I was adamant uh, in a number of forums and saying that he would never win another major. And obviously, I was wrong. I underestimated him. And I will never do that again. So I would, ne- I would never say never as far as Tiger is concerned as a competitor because that's one of the things, obviously, that set him apart. It wasn't just his skill. It was his will. He wanted to win. Uh, I, I can remember his first Masters I, I've covered and I followed, I don't know why I decided I was going to follow him on the first day. When he got to the eighth hole and he hooked his drive, it was, like, you know, it's a long par five uphill. He hooked his drive into the trees and, and, you know, I'm standing five feet from him. Everybody's walking around looking for the ball. He can't find the ball. And he is, you could see the steam rising off of it. And he just, and he, under his, well, not totally under his breath, but he, he growled, this is how you lose an effing golf tournament. And of course, he didn't lose the F and golf tournament. He, oh. after shooting 40 on the front nine, he shot a 30 on the back and then destroyed the place and the field over the next three days. He has a fire inside of him that I don't think has gone out. Kevin, you and I have been friends for a long time. You've been very generous with your time with my classes over over the years. This is sort of a personal, professional question. Do you miss the grind of uh, being in it sort of every day of the week? Uh, you're such a terrific columnist for so many years for AL.com, and, uh, and it's just it's it's hard, right? It, it, it's very sort of uh, physically taxing, intellectually taxing. But is there any part of you that misses being out there and writing every day or maybe five days a week? Uh, not really, to be honest. And, and thank you for the kind words, Lars. But you're absolutely right. It is a grind. And people, I don't think, appreciate that. And, and you know, when you write, uh, and look, the beat writers grind harder than anyone because they're they're churning out stories day after day after day. And, and the clock never turns off for them, it seems. And I, and I did that at the start of my career, and it was a great education, but I, I would never have wanted to do it for a long time. So I have the utmost respect for the people, uh, the men and women who are beat writers. But even as a columnist, as soon as you finish one column, the clock starts on the next one. Okay, what's the next subject? How am I going to approach it? Who do I have to talk to to get some insight? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that never stops because you're never done. You may finish one column, but here comes another one. And you feel, at least I did, and I think I think probably almost everyone in that position does, you feel a responsibility to deliver for your audience. You want to, you want to entertain them. You want to educate them. You want to give them something to think about. You want to perhaps make them feel a certain way. And, and so it is... It is, it, it, you know, I don't want to go Mike Dubose on you and say it was a challenge. It's a challenge and an opportunity, but it is both. <laughs> and even, and even to this day, even to this day it is. And I, and I'm writing twice a week. Uh, I, you know, I'm not full time in daily journalism. I'm not in daily journalism anymore, but I am writing twice a week. So I still feel that same responsibility to deliver something interesting that makes it worth your while to take time out of your day to read whatever it is. Kevin, I saw you recently wrote about the hiring of Kevin Steele. What are your thoughts on that? And if you had to choose between 
him or Tommy Reese and, and having the, the biggest impact on their first seasons, well, Kevin Steele's first season back at the Capstone, which would you choose? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a good question, Christian. I hadn't considered it from that perspective uh, in, in looking at the hires. Uh, first of all, Kevin is a pro. Kevin is a, is a total professional. And, and I can tell you, because I sat down with him, uh, Nick Saban allowed me two days before the 2007 season opener, I went to Tuscaloosa, and Nick allowed me to sit down with Kevin and do a one-on-one interview in his office, and I did a one-on-one interview with, with Nick as well that day. And the uh, respect and admiration that Nick Saban expressed for Kevin Steele at that time, and remember, at that time, they had not worked together. Kevin had a, Kevin had a bucket list, he told me back then, of the coaches that he always wanted to work for. And those coaches were Tom Osborne at Nebraska, Check that box. He did that. Uh, Go Big Red. Bobby Bowden at Florida State. Check that box. He did that. Dom Capers. Uh, check that box. He did that in the NFL. And and then Nick Saban. And he was able to achieve all of uh, those those uh, bucket list items in his career. And of course, he's now. This will be the third go round with Nick. So, I, look, Kevin, they, they will be very good on defense. I have no question about that. The the intriguing hire, more intriguing to me, is Tommy Reese, and I think to most people, because he is a new face. Uh, he has not worked with Nick Saban before. And if you look at the offensive coordinators that Nick has hired at Alabama, that's kind of a pattern, right? These are not necessarily guys that he's had a working relationship with in the past. But it, it says to me, and that's, that's the one I think could have the most impact because I think, and a lot of people have suggested this, and I'm, I'm in that crowd, that this is an indication that Nick Saban wants to go back a little more, not completely, to the old uh, joyless murder ball days where Alabama just lined up, told you what they are going to do, and they were going to do it between the tackles, and they were, you were not going to be able to stop it. They were going to be bigger and stronger and faster than you, and they bullied people. And they demoralized people when they did that. And I don't think they're going fully back to that. But I think they've gotten away from the physicality of their offense in recent years because Bryce Young was so good. It was almost as if the offense became, hey, let's, let's let Bryce do something special. And he did it more often than not. But how many times on short yardage did you see them get stopped in the last couple of years? And, and that's got to be a little disturbing. Uh, so I think you're going to see Alabama get back, try to bring back that aspect of the offense, that physicality, while still being able to throw the ball. And, and guys, i got to say, why everyone doesn't run a quarterback sneak the way the Philadelphia Eagles do, which is virtually impossible to stop since they let you push guys and push the runner in the back, uh, that is uh, pretty extraordinary to watch how successful they are with that. So that, that's the big deal. big takeaway for me is Tommy Reese uh, maybe brings some physicality to the offense that Nick Saban would like to see, maybe along the lines of what George is doing where they're doing some of both. They're still physical between the tackles, but they also can throw the ball downfield. Uh, including Christian on this question, hasn't Alabama, in, in my limited knowledge of the game, of course Christian's got it all, haven't they recruited as if they're shifting back a little bit like Kevin was just referring to, particularly with offensive linemen? Christian, you respond, and then we'll follow up with Kevin. Yeah, I, I agree. Absolutely, Matt. And, uh, uh, you know, I covered the signing day show, so I got a good glimpse at, at these guys. I had to watch them on tape and had to uh, really understand them and, and get to know them as players. So from what I've gathered, they, yeah, they went out and got guys that 
number one, had the physical stature that they're looking for. These guys are big, long. They have great frames, but they also can hold, you know, a lot of weight. I mean, they average around that 330-ish pound range. Some are more, some are less, but they'll probably settle in around there, 325, 330-ish. Um, but also, they got they gathered guys who could play amongst the entire offensive line. And that's a common theme we've seen uh, with, with Coach Saban. He likes to get guys that have experience playing left tackle, playing right tackle, uh, and they can also play inside. Typically what we'll see is a guy, they'll bring a guy in. If he's not ready to play tackle, they'll slide him down. They'll let him play guard for a year or so, and then they'll move him to tackle when he's ready. I'll give you an example. You know, Alex Leatherwood, right? Uh, he played guard initially when he got here. Then he ended up moving out to tackle. Then he was drafted in the first round as a tackle. Um, some other guys have also done that. They've played inside and out. So that's what we've seen. And so with all all that being said, yeah, I, I think um, if you look at their stature, you look at their their uh, – uh, the, the diversity that they have where they can play all around the offensive line. I, I think they went out and got guys who can help establish that line of scrimmage. It can help, you know, bolster that offensive line and really get that push up front to where, uh, like Kevin was alluding to, you know, people used to know what we were running. They knew inside zone was coming, but it didn't matter because we were so physically dominant up front. We we're going to run through you regardless if you knew the player or not. So I think that's exactly what they're trying to get back to, you know, bringing in these recruits and bringing in a guy like Tommy Reese. I, I don't know that I can add it. I don't, I don't know that. I think Christian just nailed it, Matt. I don't think there's that much I can add to that. Uh, he captured it pretty well. Yeah, the size of the linemen stands out that, that they've been, that they recruited, they signed. And, and then Nick has always done a good job, as Christian said, using spring practice, uh, fall camp to move guys around, uh, to different spots in the line, which is uh, obviously helps you down the line. If you have an injury, yeah. you can have a guy slide in or slide over. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's uh, that, I will be surprised if Alabama doesn't emphasize the running game a little more this season. I agree. Our our guest is Kevin Skarbinski. Uh, can you can you slide to the bottom of the hour? Or you got to run. Uh, I can hang. I can hang. Okay, good. Because I want we're going to go into basketball here in a minute, not just the SEC. We'll talk about a guy named Jordan. Uh, you're very familiar with him, and y'all believe yes, I, I think y'all you are all. Kevin really is a basketball guy, I think, if you, if you gave his choice. Anyway, we'll discuss that on the other side of the break. Big news sports. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside, this is Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Action Matters is responsible for the content of this ad. Attention all women who use Tylenol or other medications containing acetaminophen, including NyQuil or DayQuil, while pregnant. If you... Nights low 62. An active day tomorrow, mild and breezy with thunderstorms by afternoon. Those storms could be strong to severe. The high 73. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 71 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big Noon Sports, Lars Anderson, Christian Miller. I'm Matt Coulter. Our guest is Kevin Skarbinski. Kevin, I got up this morning, you know, doing a little show research. Uh, you know, that's a that's a task you're very familiar with. And I look down there and I see Michael Jordan turned 60. First, how did that make you feel? Second, give me a memory on the court when he was with the Bulls. And then uh, quickly t- just uh, reflect back when he was with the Barons. That's a lot, but I know you can handle it. Well, I'm a year older than him, so it didn't make me feel any younger. 
to know that that he's hit sixty. Uh, when when that when that counter changes and that and that first the first digit in your age gets to six, uh, yeah, it makes gives you pause. So uh, happy birthday to him! And I still I, I can't tell you how many times I've watched the Last Dance documentary Thirty for Thirty that ESPN did because I'm fascinated. I've always been fascinated by Jordan. Uh, I, I'll give you a memory that's not necessarily from a game. I was working on a project a couple of years ago, and I had to do some research in the Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina area. And I went by North Carolina and Duke, and no surprise, both have, you know, kind of basketball uh, halls of fame uh, with all kinds of memorabilia. And the letter, there's a letter that, that Dean Smith wrote to Michael Jordan's parents after his freshman year. And, of course, people remember what he did in his freshman year, uh, he happened to hit the winning shot to win the national championship game against Patrick Ewing in Georgetown. But the letter made no mention of that. The letter talked about how Michael was progressing in class and how proud Dean was of his development and how he clearly uh, had received an, an excellent upbringing uh, from his, his father, James, and his, his mother, Dolores. And, you know, it just, it, it just stood out to me so many things about that, about Dean Smith, about Michael Jordan, about his parents. And about uh, that program, that 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 just—I don't know why that memory just kind of stands out to me. And and the Barons, uh, I'll give you another memory. It has nothing to do on the field. After his first game, I know a lot of people that you know on, would go to uh, Five Point South, and I guess they still do. That's not my scene anymore. But uh, when I was much younger, I, you know, you might go down to Five Point South to get a meal after uh, at late at night. And some of us who had covered the game went down there. And I remember <laughs> we were in this one establishment. And there was a, a commotion out on the street, and, and I can't remember the car. It was a very expensive sports car, as you can imagine, that pulled up and did not park in a parking place. It parked essentially on the street, and they and the crowd got out, and, of course, it was Michael Jordan and his entourage, and they came in and, and hung out. And I thought, man, I, that's a, that's a dif- different kind of life when you park, uh, you park your very expensive sports car wherever you want to, and nobody seems to mind. I was told that I wasn't here at the time, but I was told he had a yellow Lamborghini. <laughs> but uh, who, who knows? It was not that. I would, um, I would have remembered that, Lars. That that evening, at least, <laughs> it was not a yellow Lamborghini. Um, uh, an assortment. They just pulled one. Yeah, out I, I'm sure he had more than one. Um, I think it was uh, a black Kevin, Porsche. Tonight, if I remember. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. That's a, that's a little more discreet than a yellow Lamborghini. Um, <laughs> Kevin, tonight Alabama uh, travels up to Knoxville to play Tennessee. Alabama ranked number one in the country, and they're an underdog. Uh, just y- your your thoughts. Is this a, a, a sort of a trap game for the Crimson Tide tonight? And just also your thoughts on this team in general, because we haven't had a chance to uh, speak with you about what Nate Oates and this team has done this year? Well, first of all, on that point, this is this team is a Final Four team. This team is a national championship team. It doesn't mean it will achieve either of those goals, but it has everything that you need to do both. Uh, and I've covered a lot of Final Fours. I've seen a lot of Final Four teams, a lot of national championship teams. Uh, this Alabama team has all the ingredients to get there and to get it done when they do get there. As far as tonight's concerned, it, it's not that unusual. Tennessee is a very good basketball team. They're, they're in a bit of a lull. They've lost a couple of games at the buzzer. 
to Vanderbilt and Missouri and came close against Auburn a, a week ago. Could have dropped that one, and they got out of there uh, with a close win. But they're very talented. They will not be overwhelmed or awed by Alabama's talent. You know, you Remember, Tennessee beat Kansas earlier in the year, and Kansas is one of the better teams in the country. So this is this has become one of those games. You know, you say, "Well, is Tennessee? You know, what do they think? Where are they mentally right now?" Well, they know they're good enough to beat Alabama if they play well. They know that they were they came so close to winning both of those games they just dropped. So this is the kind of game I, I liken it somewhat to Auburn last night. You know, Auburn had lost five to six, and a very good Missouri team comes to Neville Arena, and Auburn runs them out of town. Just completely dominates them from the from the beginning of the game to the to the end. So, I, I, Tennessee, I expect to play a very good basketball game tonight, but I also expect that out of Alabama every night. Here, here's a a measure, a personal measure for you guys of what I think about Alabama basketball. Every time they walk out there now, I expect them to win, home or away, regardless of the opponent, regardless of the situation. Even if Charles Bediaco does not play tonight, he's banged up a little bit with a knee. He's got a knee issue. I don't think it's serious from what we're hearing. Uh, he may or may not play, or he may play in limited minutes. But what, whatever his role is tonight, I still expect Alabama to win. That's how good this team is. Kevin, the success we're seeing from this basketball team feels almost unprecedented around here. Do you think it's here to stay? Do you think uh, this isn't just a, a one-time thing or you know one-season uh, type deal? Do you, do you expect the consistency to stay with Nate Oates being around here as head coach? Oh, I do, Christian, absolutely. Uh, they got the right guy. For the job. This is not a this is not a one hit wonder. I mean, look, this is they're gonna for, unless something really strange happens uh, over the next couple of weeks, they're gonna win their second SEC regular season title in three years. Uh, they'll be the favorite to win their second SEC tournament title in three years. They will be for the first time in school history a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. They will almost certainly play in Birmingham, where the NCAA tournament returns for the first and second rounds for the first time since 2008. So they are, uh, they are achieving things consistently, uh, that, that Alabama basketball has done before, but they're taking, they're just pushing it up a little to a level uh, even higher than what CM Newton did, what Wimp Sanderson did. I mean, those guys, those guys set a pretty high bar. It hasn't always been reached. Mark Godfrey did good things while he was the coach, got to five straight NCAAs, got to the elite eight, which is as deep a run as Alabama's ever made. But this this is shaping up, guys, and this is a it, this is a debate for another day. And you guys can talk amongst yourselves about this maybe one day. I think a lot of Alabama fans now will be disappointed if this team will feel like this team fell short if it doesn't get to the Final Four. Mm. That's a good point. And that's a new standard. And that's a new I standard uh, for Alabama basketball, certainly. That's a good problem to have, though. I like it. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, yes, it is. And a good thing about it is fans are responding. You know, they're selling out Mississippi State games. When does that happen? Anyway, um, Kevin, well, you're with and the that's, lead that's now. Another, you know, there's a misconception, guys. That, you know, Alabama. Look, look, Alabama basketball fans. They know good basketball. They will support the team when that team is delivering and putting a, a quality product on the floor. And they're certainly doing that right now. They're not going to support Anthony Grant. And Avery Johnson. Which, by the way, I thought they were both great hires. Shows you what I know. Hey, tell everybody how they can follow you, Kevin. Yes, go to Birmingham Lead, L-E-D-E dot com. Uh, a new daily publication delivered straight to your inbox. It's a subscription publication. It's well worth it. 
Uh, it's, it comes out every day. I write twice a week on Sundays and Thursdays, and you can follow me on Twitter at Kevin Skarbinski and keep up with everything I'm involved in. Your family good? Tell them hey. Yes, they are. I'm a, I'm in my last I'm in my last season as a sports dad. My younger son is playing tennis. I uh, just took the game up. I taught him how to play. Uh, I hadn't played in 40 years. And so we're having a blast just playing on the weekends ourselves, and he's playing for the high school team. And like I said, I'm getting a little sad. This is my Ooh. last sports dad season. Oh, wow. Um, it is. Wow. That's I, can, really, I can relate, man. That, that sounds, I, like I, a, I really can. sounds like a column waiting to be written. Uh, probably so. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. See you that soon. That may be a book, Lars. <laughs> <laughs> it's, seriously, that is, that's a great idea for a book. Yep. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Last hour has thank just been loaded. Thank really you good guess. All right, you bet, you bet. Uh, when we get back, another happy birthday that must be mentioned, not just Michael Jordan. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Three people you should be 100% certain about. Your barber, your plumber... Enter Tax Pro. Switch to Jackson Hewitt and you can be 100% certain about your tax. Lars is probably there. Were you going, Kenny, 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 <laughs> Kenny to Collingsworth, Augustana's yeah. pride. Yes, yes, yes. He's 74. Um, Happy birthday. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I've told this story a lot. I, and I'll try to be brief here. But uh, when I was little, uh, my dad um, loved to play sort of tricks on me, and he told me that Ken Anderson was my uncle. And so we'd be watching a Bengals game, or about ready to watch a Bengals game, and we had an old rotary phone there in Lincoln, Nebraska, and my dad would, uh, away from me, dial your own number, and then you hang up the phone, yeah, and on those rotary that. phones, it would cause the phone to ring. Yep. Dad would pick up the phone and act like his brother, Kenny Anderson, was calling him from the locker room. And not only that, Kenny was asking my dad for advice. And he's like, ah, you got to throw the shallow cross on, you know, <laughs> just going into all these details. Oh, and, um, and then he would do the same thing at halftime. Oh, wow. He would act like he was talking to Kenny <laughs> at halftime. And so, naturally, um, he becomes my favorite player. And so, starting in kindergarten, you, you know, you have these class pictures, right? 
and kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. I'm wearing the same thing <laughs> in every class picture. And what is that? That's Ken Anderson jersey, number 14, with Anderson on the back. And I believed for far too long that Ken Anderson was my uncle. You never wondered why he didn't show up for Thanksgiving. Oh, wait! He was playing football. He was busy, yeah. you know. And I would be like, and he, my dad would do the same thing after games. He would act like he was talking to Ken. Uh, dad, please, <laughs> let me talk to him. Let me talk to him. Oh, Ken, you got to go? You got to go? Oh, boom, hang up the phone. All right, so that's that's how my dad. How long did this go on for? Uh, how long? How many years? Till last month? <laughs> <laughs> no, it literally it went on till it went on far too long. Uh, <laughs> the charade went to about like seventh grade until, wow. and I would tell all my friends. I tell all my friends that Ken Anderson was my uncle. Okay, so fast forward, uh, you know, many years, and 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 that's why I'm a Bengals fan because of the it makes what, sense what my now. dad. Uh, your what uncle, my your, your dad did to me. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. He was the star quarterback. And, um, you know, when when uh, Jay Barker, uh, our former teammate here on the show, and, uh, and Tony Curry and Al Del Greco were doing uh, their radio show here in Birmingham, I often would go in in the morning and, and just join them for, you know, a half hour or an hour. And turns out Del Greco is buddies with Ken Anderson. And so uh, for one segment, you know, um, uh, the first segment, they, hey, they, Del Greco forces me to tell the story of yeah. Ken Anderson. And then um, to begin the next segment, Al's like, hey, we got somebody on the line who wants to talk to you, Lars. And it was Ken Anderson. <laughs> and I, for the first actually, time was, in my life, I was, it was... Actually, him yeah. this time. For real, it was him? It was the real Ken Anderson. And for the first time in my life, I was utterly speechless. And he was so funny, because he was like, Missed you at uh, Aunt Maud's uh, oh, reunion, right. Lars. So he's playing <laughs> yeah. along. Yeah, he was playing along. That's and awesome. um, we had a great time. Uh, we ended up exchanging numbers. And so now we text with one another. And Christian, it's such a cool thing to be able to text your idol, right? Your childhood idol. And I don't abuse it at all. You know, and, and he's just, he, he's such a nice guy. Um, and I'm so excited for him one day to make it to the hall of fame. And, and I, you know, I've shared, uh, this, the whole story with him a, a couple different times and he's been nice enough to join us on air. And, um, anyway, that, that just intensified my fandom for not just football, but for all of sports, because like Ken, he was my guy. Ken Anderson was my guy because I thought he was my family. And now, in a weird way, he—not that he is—but it, but it's almost like we we have this bond, 
together and or at least i would like to think he has it with me and i have it with him but really it's just me and him but um something tells me he would remember you no he no he doesn't no he he he, he, he remembers because it's get him on tomorrow because it's such a bizarre story uh (laughs) it's so weird um and and my but my dad uh who passed away a long time ago and is buried in arlington national cemetery very proud of that uh you know he would just get a kick out of how all of this has transpired. I mean, he never could have dreamed that that Ken and I would be trading text messages and 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 all that. But uh, yeah, happy birthday to Ken Anderson. I, Christian, uh, did you have other than your dad? Did you have a favorite football player growing up? Yeah, uh, I, well, I had a handful. I don't know if I necessarily had just one, um, but I, I, I think I spoke a little bit on Clay Matthews. I forgot uh, what we were talking about, how that came up, but yeah, uh, the, yeah. he definitely was one of them. Um, somebody I looked up to because he played that position, and then um, you know I never got to the point of where we're texting buddies, but just being on the same field of him, it's the same field as him was remarkable, and that that was a very special moment. Um, uh, just, just other guys, you know, Demarcus Ware, who uh, you know. Hall of Fame class, yeah, he got in the hall. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, man, I looked up to you know him growing up. Um, uh, you know, I feel like every defender uh, always loved watching Ray Lewis and just listen to his pregame speeches. I mean, it, it, I don't know if y'all have ever had a chance to really listen to him, uh, but man, they just make you want to run through a brick wall and like all these little cut ups of like you know they they, they mix like his pregame speeches with him just going and just. Decleating a receiver crossing the, in the middle, I mean, it just you can't help but be a big fan of his. So yeah, there's, there's a handful. Of, I mean, Julius Peppers, I used to love watching him as well. I mean, it's, I could probably go down a list, but I, I, there's not just one guy I would say that I just really you know idolized and wanted to be just like. I probably had a handful. How about like when you met somebody that you that really put you in awe? <laughs> I, I had a all right. So if I'm being honest with you, so with my dad playing in the league nine years, I kind of grew up around, you know, a handful yeah. of like, like like my dad's literally like really good friends, if not one. Darius Rucker's like one of his best friends. So I kind of grew up around a, a handful of celebrities, athletes, um, you name it. So I'll be honest, as I kind of got older, it, it it wasn't so much of like that, you know, wow factor because it was almost like it was something I was used to. When your dad was a nine-year NFL veteran, he, I mean, he was friends with Michael Strahan. Michael Strahan used to come to our house a lot when I was younger. Um, they just, you name again, like I mean, whether it's artists, actors, my dad, for some reason, I mean, I know he has a glowing personality, but he knows everybody. It feels like. Um, so I was fortunate to meet a lot of people. So I'll be honest, it almost kind of became something I was kind of accustomed to. So when I would get older and I would just meet people, I kind of just would just treat it as if it was like, oh, well, you know, that's cool. That's another person to you know, add to the list. But it was always cool telling my friends, like, they'd be talking about somebody and I'd be like, oh, I know him or I met him. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I'm not now, but I will, if now there's, if I were to meet like somebody like LeBron, I think I would probably be like, oh, okay, that's that's awesome. Just because I, you know, he's like my favorite you know, athlete. And I love watching him. Somebody like that would probably be uh, give me that awe factor. I feel like like LeBron James, maybe. How about you, Matt? Who is your childhood hero? Well, it's Y.A. Tittle. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
You know, I mean, you I, know, yes, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, that was my dad's favorite player. I thought you were going to say the Galloping Ghost. I almost Red did because you did a book. I wrote on a book him. on Red Green, uh, and I should have. He was big in 1925. Yeah, he was, but. I, I did not cover either of those guys, okay? Even though I think Grange really did wear a leather helmet, right? Did, yes. Yeah. Uh, big Bart Star guy, obvious reasons. Uh, but running around in the backyard, I was scrambling Fran, baby. Oh, Sir Fran. I was Sir Georgia's own Fran Tarkin. That was my brother's all-time favorite player. Uh, still love him, but, uh, you know. Some big news, by the way, coming out of Pittsburgh has to do with Alabama. John Mitchell. After 29 oh, yeah. years, yeah, he's re- just announced his retirement. We need to talk about that on the other side. We Matt. sure will. Big Noon Sports, stay with us. This is Big Noon Sports with Lars, Matt, and Christian. If you need insurance, like a good neighbor, State Farm agent Derek Daniel is there with auto, homeowners, and life insurance throughout the Tuscaloosa area, including Northport, Cottondale, Brookwood, and Vexlow 62. An active day tomorrow, mild and breezy with thunderstorms by afternoon. Those storms could be strong to severe, the high 73. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 71 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Wrapping up what I would uh, pretty much call an eight and a half or a ten show. Many thanks to Kevin Skarbinski and to Mick Gillespie for joining us. And to Lars and Christian and Joe and Josh and Aiden as well. Big big news out of Pittsburgh uh, with one of the most impactful players in Alabama history. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I... I'll review it real quick, but Matt, I think you can talk about it more eloquently than I can because you've been here longer. But uh, uh, John Mitchell, uh, as a kid growing up in Mobile, Alabama, he dreamed about attending the University of Alabama. But like so many kids growing up in his Mobile neighborhood, he suspected it was uh, not going to happen. Um, but through a combination of hard work, talent, little luck, and then some por- uh, the support of some influential people, uh, he was able to live out his dream, first as a student and football player at the University of Alabama, and then as a college assistant coach with stops at Alabama, Arkansas, and LSU, and uh, basically a three-decade career in the NFL. And... Um, and, you know, he is uh, basically known for uh, being the first African-American to play football for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And right outside of Bryant-Denny, uh, there at the Walk of Champions, there is now a plaque, and I walk by that plaque every time I am uh, on my way to Reese Pfeiffer, uh, the building in which I teach, and I see John Mitchell's. Uh, I see his bio, and and uh, this is a really significant day in not just the history of Alabama football, but the history of American sports. Very well put. Uh, by the way, he's a pretty darn good player too. Um, and I was fortunate enough 
he was one of the assistant coaches under Raleigh Dotch in the years that the Stallions were here. And I was on the Stallions beat. And that was back in the day where you could go to the Tide and Tiger after football practice with the coaches, back to, with the players. Everybody was at age. So you got to know all these people. And Mitch is just a class act. Um, and he, he has handled himself so well uh, with, with his impact on Alabama coming in as an African-American player. Um, he is a big-time coach. Um, let's see, off and on, he has been with the Steelers for... 29. What did you say? So 29, 29 years? 29 years. And, and, and tomorrow I really want to do a deep dive into John Mitchell and because and, we just don't have the time right now. There's only uh, We only have a few minutes left in the program. But um, I have written about him extensively, talked to him, and his role in and, – and, and again, in how he got to Alabama, um, it just opened so many doors – and just change the nature of not just Alabama football, but I, th- I think football in the SEC. Oh, yeah. Uh, Christian, uh, I know I'll put you on the spot when I ask you stuff like this, particularly with uh, players of age like that. But uh, <laughs> did, have you heard of him? Did, did you know he's a coach? Did you know he's from Mobile? Did you know it? Uh, I'm just uh, curious because you are – relatively younger than us no no that's a great point before i answer man i just want to again give a big thanks to my friends over at the good feet store remember if you're in pain if it's bothering you your knees your feet your hips your back anything give them a shout they'll help get you right i played football a long time i deal with those aches and pains so the good feet store helped me out tremendously with their custom-made arch supports and backed by popular demand the good feet store has given away a free pair of premium shoes with a qualified purchase that's a 140 dollars value so stop into your local good feet store today check them out over in midtown village is try before you buy you've got nothing to lose so go ahead and find your local good feet store if you're in tuscaloosa it's over in midtown village they got first class customer service superior arch supports to help alleviate and even eliminate all your aches and pains to answer your question matt I will say I've heard of him as being, you know, first African-American football player at Alabama. Um, I, I think this is remarkable. Um, you know, somebody like that is is, is so crucial um, to guys like myself. Um, you know, obviously a person of color, um, you know, he, he paved the way for so many people after him. And um, uh, you're so thankful and grateful for people like that. And um, I, I, I haven't uh, met him personally, but um, I've heard a lot of great things about him. And I think it says a lot about him, number one. Um, just his career here at Alabama, the things um, that that he did while he was here, both on and off the field, but also um, to have a tenure like that, you know, nearly 30 years with one organization, that that says a lot about who he is and the job that he did while he was coaching there and working there. So, um, with that being said, I, I you know I, I'm I'm very I'm grateful and, and uh, respect people um, like like him and, and, and the magnitude that they have um, on what they've done, you know, for for people like me uh, before our time. Because um, it's really important. One of the uh, guys, uh, I think we've had him on on the show, Tuffy Crow, who's a longtime assistant. He was on that Stallion staff. Talks about Mitch, and they communicate. And I'll at least get Tuffy on the show tomorrow. We're gonna try and get Mitch on, but you know that's it, with retirement and all that. But um, you know, I have to word this carefully. But one of the mo- most interesting things about him, Tuffy told me he's been to his house. Said he has the largest collection of red wine he's ever seen in his life. Can respect that. I can too. 
In fact, I'd like to visit it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but he has a home in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he will uh, be moving back to Birmingham soon. Yeah, and um, you know, in in, in seventy two, uh, he was he became co captain at Alabama, first African American to uh, do so, and um, ended up wow. being picked in the seventh round by the San Francisco Forty Niners, and um, you know, it really he. He, he made his mark i mean not just on uh, not just as a player but as a coach and um he uh started at alabama then went to arkansas uh then was in the usfl as you mentioned then temple lsu and then on to the nfl with cleveland and then with the Steelers, uh, starting in 1994, started on the uh, defensive line under uh, Bill Cower, and basically been with the Steelers ever since. And that made him the club's longest tenured coach, and actually one of the longest tenured uh, serving coaches with his current team in NFL history. I mean, it's really rare for an assistant to spend 29 years with it's one team. It's got to be some kind of record, don't you think? <laughs> and it might be. Just think about it. It, 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 it really, yeah, Christian. I've it, never heard of that. I mean, think of all the people he knows. Oh, he knows everybody. I mean, I mean, Christian, you know how like a brotherhood. Yeah. I mean, not only with players but coaches yeah. like alike. I mean, you know everybody. It's a whole community. If you're in the league. Almost thirty years and with the same organization. I mean, there's he has probably so many stories and oh man, he'd be a great person to have on here. That's for sure. Well, I don't know if we can get him on in the immediacy of his retirement, but once he gets back, Mitch will be on the show. I can promise you that. Hey, we got to get out of here. Great Good show, show. Guys. thank you, Christian. Uh, thank you. Now, do they have like do they have like old people shoes? They, at your store? They have it all. I'm Matt, it's try before you buy. You have nothing to lose. Go in there and get fitted. You even get a nice foot massage while they, while they get you sized up and, oh. and let you try out the arch supports and the shoes they have. Good feet store. I'll Check be there out. tomorrow. See you at 3 o'clock. Before class tomorrow, <laughs> right. I'll be there. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Action Matters is responsible for the content of this ad. Attention all women who use Tylenol or other medications containing acetaminophen, including NyQuil or DayQuil, while pregnant. If you are